0: Welcome to Nomina's Mental Health Mavens. I'm your host, Joanne, and every Sunday, we bring you mental health and addictions experts on a variety of topics, including advanced evidence-based therapies. Now, guest opinions are their own, and some content may be triggering. But our mission here and on our Nomina Wellness YouTube channel is to make exceptional mental health support accessible to everyone. So make sure to subscribe, give us that good rating, and maybe even share with a friend. So let's get to it. Welcome to this week's Mental Health Mavens, and today's topic is a little bit spicier. Dan Calco is back, and he's a registered sex therapist, and he's going to be talking to us about polyamory and consensual non-monogamy. So with that, let's welcome Dan. Well, welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for coming again, and I'm very excited about our new series. And today, you are going to talk about polyamory and consensual non-monogamy. So do you want to give us an introduction to that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So polyamory or consensual non-monogamy is basically having more than one person that you have intimate relationships with. So monogamy everyone's familiar with is one partner. So one person has the other person and they're exclusive. So they don't see other people intimately outside of that relationship. And that's kind of the standard monogamous relationship that you see that's kind of portrayed in a lot of film, and movie, and religion, and sports, and culture, it it tends to be that monogamous relationship. This, on the other hand, is having multiple relationships, and there's a small difference between consensual non-monogamy and polyamory, which we can get into later, but generally, it means that you have multiple partners with whom you have intimate relationships, and oftentimes, these relationships are sexual in nature.
0: And, well, why don't we talk about the difference in the two now?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, polyamory means so poly means multi and amory means love so it it translates kind of loosely to multiple lovers in this case you kind of have um you don't really have a primary relationship you have multiple relationships where you share that emotional and intimate bond with multiple people so for example if there's a person and uh and they're in a relationship with another person they have Uh, a second and a third and maybe a fourth person with whom they all kind of equally share that emotional load as well as having that intimate relationship whereas consensual non-monogamy tends to focus on a primary partnership where there's a person person with another person but then each of those people or however it's divided can have sexual relationships with other people so their primary relationship is with each other so that's where they go to um their, their uh, emotional support or their, uh, their um, social support or their financial support tends to be more gravitated towards an individual. And then each of these couples can have sexual relationships outside. But what denotes or what's different about those sexual relationships is they tend to be much more physical. They don't tend to have that emotional weight to them as they do in polyamory. And so it is a little bit of a difference, but really we focus on how people connect emotionally. And in polyamory, there's multiple emotional connections. And in uh, consensual non-monogamy, it tends to be a primary emotional relationship surrounded by just um, kind of basic sexual interactions.
0: Okay. So the consensual non-monogamy would be these terms we hear, like open relationships, swingers, things like that?
1: They, They do kind of fall on that side, yeah. So swingers tend to be people who get together and who have... Kind of sex for fun, right? It becomes one of those things where it's like a pleasurable act, but it's not followed up with the intimacy that you would see in perhaps a monogamous relationship, or uh, even that that primary relationship for those people who who uh, uh, identify as swingers.
0: Okay, and is there roots in mental health with this?
1: I I don't think there's. I don't think you can look at it and say that it's uh, bad mental health that causes people to be polyamorous or or. Uh, Practicing consensual non-monogamy, I don't, I don't think that's fair at all. I think there are a lot of healthy relationships where people practice consensual non-monogamy or polyamory, and they are totally stable in terms of their mental health. So I think that's um, a difficult thing because I think your question is rooted in the grounds of how our culture is and our predominant mechanism in our culture, which is monogamy, and we have a lot of pressure and and history behind monogamy like thousands of years of social pressure of religious pressure to be monogamous and so it sometimes seems like that becomes the norm is monogamy is a norm and then anybody practicing anything that's not monogamous is this outside group which is doing something different or even perhaps labeled as wrong but it really isn't Those labels don't really apply unless you look at them from your societal or your religious or your cultural backgrounds. And then you have your own kind of ethical and moral piece that you're coming through, but you're viewing it from that lens, through that lens.
0: OK, well, I can see both sides. I can see the side for monogamy and I can see the side for for um, non monogamy as well, too, that I, I know with my own husband, I know he loves me and and uh, he can. I mean, we don't have an open relationship, but if we did, I know he loves me A- and it would have to do with you know, him just needing a little bit more. And
1: and that's a big thing. And one of the things that we noticed, especially in a lot of older couples, so I can't remember the stat exactly, but something like 40% of couples who are over 65, who have been together for more than 25 years, practice some form of consensual non-monogamy. And what you were describing there in terms of your own disclosure is that that trust bond with your primary partner By this point, I don't know how long you've been together, but, and it's not always um, uh, defined by time, but that trust bond that you have, that emotional connection that you have with your husband is stronger than anything that he may or you may be seeking outside of the relationship in terms of that the fulfillment that you're not getting, whatever that looks like. It doesn't always have to be sexual, but oftentimes it is, especially in what we're talking about, it is. So, what we see in those older couples who have been together for a long time is they've already established clear patterns and boundaries. And that relationship is strong with each other that it can withstand some of the external extracurricular activities, so to speak, without destabilizing that primary uh, relationship. There's trust there and that trust is very strong. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And, and respect and communication and all those pillars of a good relationship.
1: Exactly. And, And those are, I would say even more important in a polyamorous relationship or a consensual non-monogamy relationship than a monogamous one. I think it's critical in any relationship, but as soon as you start involving multiple people, now we in, insert jealousy and jealousy is a big thing in polyamory circles or, or consensual non-monogamy circles because we have our own insecurities to deal with in terms of what does that feel like in terms of our primary relationship. We can feel threatened by other people, right? We can feel threatened by the slightly more good looking person or the slightly taller person or the slightly older person or the slightly more experienced person. These are all things where we can identify within ourselves, perhaps where we're not as confident. And now when we see our partner perhaps connecting in that way with this other relationship, then that can bring up insecurities and jealousy within us. And that's why open communication is critical in any kind of polyamorous situation because how you feel is very true it doesn't matter whether whether it is um, legitimate or not it feels legitimate for the person experiencing those emotions and being able to express them and let them out in a safe space to be able to discuss them is so so important again both of these things apply to both polyamorous and monogamous relationships like they're very very important but the polyamorous ones tend to have a little bit more of that active um interaction with them whereas in a monogamy relationship that becomes an affair or cheating or however you want to label it which carries with it its own emotional baggage but still we want to be able to say that those lines of communication need to remain open at all times and there needs to be comfort in those relationships
0: Well, I imagine having a really good sense of self is important, too, because I know one of the reasons why I don't get jealous. um, I mean, again, we're monogamous, but, you know, I, I know he loves me because I know who I am and I know what I bring to the table.
1: Yeah. And that's that's another point, too, right, is is understanding how you feel about it. How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your partner? And how do you feel about your partner's partner, right? And these are all complex relationships that we need to navigate. And every single relationship that we look at is an opportunity to explore emotional connection. So we create emotional connections. I think one of the things that's really important for us to know is we have multiple emotional connections and multiple relationships regardless if you're single if you're a couple if you're a triad if you're a quad if you're open whatever that looks like but you have a relationship with a lot of people so the ability for the human to maintain multiple relationships is pretty standard in fact it's kind of critical to our society You have a relationship with your mom and your dad and your your brother and your sister and your aunt and your uncle and your gardener and your your hairdresser and your your tax person and all of these people you have relationships with some are professional some are personal and there's a spectrum of all of these things and we give emotional kind of examples and emotional um, pieces to these different people so uh, you might not feel as emotionally connected with your tax person as you would with maybe your hairdresser and so a lot of people find that they can speak very freely to their hairdresser because it becomes a little bit more of an intimate relationship, right? Somebody's touching your hair. Uh, there's that sense of touch. You spend an hour or, or depending on what you're getting done to your hair or more with this person. So you create a relationship with these people, and oftentimes they can start to verge on that intimate level, yet that's okay. And so we are able to manage those, and that's why I think we're able to manage multiple kind of intimate relationships as well, because I think we're programmed for that as it is. Um, and we can talk about the evolutionary psychology and biology of, of that as well later, if you'd like, but we are able to manage those. And you know who, who you are, like you said, what, what kind of defines you and what gives you confidence. And then what gives you confidence within the relationship, right? What do you have that's really good with each other? And what strengthens that relationship. And then being able to understand how you feel about the things that your partner is getting outside, that's also very important because that's going to generate feelings inside of you as well. And it doesn't always have to be sexual. It can be the person that your husband plays squash with, right? Like that's a thing that that he's seeking outside of the relationship. And my point to this kind of whole thing is that we already normalize seeking things outside of the relationship. So adding a more intimate component to it While a little bit more heavily weighted in that emotional side is something that I think we can adapt to.
0: I know I have my best friend is, is a man. And he's a good looking man. And my husband is secure with that because he knows I depend on this friend for, and we've had very intimate and deep conversations and he's okay with that because he knows that that I love him, but I need, he's like a brother to me. And, and that is an important relationship in my life that I get something out of it that I don't necessarily get in my relationship.
1: And that's a really great point. One of the things that we've kind of changed in our society over the past I'd say 50, 60 years is that our monogamous, predominantly monogamous partner is required to fulfill all of our needs these days. So they're required to be our, our lover, our partner, our wife or husband, or however you see that our friend, our uh, emotional support, our physical support, or maybe even our financial support. We have all of these roles that are now, placed upon one individual that in the old days didn't used to be like that. So in the past, even if we think to pre kind of Cold War eras, there would be people that they would go out together and they'd share those things. So for example, the guys would have poker night and they would go out and this is where they would commiserate about the tough things in their lives. And I'm just using that as kind of an example that people can understand, but but that's where you would you play cards and they would smoke cigars and they would maybe have something to drink and they would complain about things and they would talk about their successes and their failures and their struggles. And there would be this group of men in this example that would support each other and they would have this open sounding board to be able to 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 release and let loose and feel supported and maybe even brag. Now that all kind of falls on our intimate partner. And so if you have, if you're a husband and you have a wife, this person is the person you're supposed to go to with how you feel about work and how you feel about your friends and how you feel about your parents and what happens when you lose your job or you get a promotion or, or when you win a contest, right? This is the person that is now the, the repository of everything. And that's a very high expectation that we place on these people. And it's kind of unfair, And so having multiple strong relationships where we can kind of divvy that up a little bit saves that that extra kind of capacity of our intimate partner, our primary partner for the other things too. So there is more capacity. So a lot of girls have girlfriends that they go out and they do things with Uh, guys have guys nights. And then there's mixed couples or mixed gender things as well that happen that you can go out and play volleyball together or, or whatever it ends up looking like is being able to share those relationships and that emotional load amongst a whole bunch of people saves us for the other people that need to share. And if we can imagine like, 10 people which with whom we can share, and each of those 10 people have 10 people that they can share, anything that's either extremely good or extremely bad gets spread out among these people. Even though that could be an intimate relationship, we're okay with it, but I think that would ultimately make us stronger. And I'm not advocating that everyone has polyamorous relationships where they, they do this kind of thing, but having close relationships is very important for humans in order to be able to co-regulate and share this kind of emotional load.
0: Well, I'm assuming that most people are clicking on the video or listening to the podcast because they either a, want to be, <laughs> they want to talk to their partner about how do we do this, or their partners come to them and said, hey, can we do this? So uh, what advice would you give to, let's start with somebody who's, who's, who's not comfortable with a polyamorous or consensual non-monogamous relationship?
1: I think, so this is something that I see in practice a lot. And uh, especially with couples that are looking at opening up their relationship, so to speak. So opening it up to other people, other uh, experiences. And my advice to anybody on either side of this is make sure that you are comfortable in your primary relationship first. That relationship needs to be bulletproof, so to speak, in terms of the ability to share how you feel, that connection, that trust, all of that needs to be like that. The, the, the primary relationship needs to be functioning at optimal levels before anyone can start thinking about opening it up. One of the things that I, I see fairly often is couples that are struggling and they go, we're going to save our relationship by opening it up. And that never works. I've never seen that work. Maybe somebody out there has, maybe there's a couple of therapists out there that has, but I've never seen that work because ultimately the, the basis of the problems of the primary relationship will feed into all of the other relationships. So being able to repair and understand what's the issue in the primary relationship will make sure that other relationships can be successful. So that's my primary thing that I like to say to people. And for anybody that's thinking about that, understand where you are in your relationship right now and how trustworthy you are. And if there's a problem in expressing a desire to open up the relationship that indicates an underlying communication issue. Because if the communication was good, it would be a lot easier to be able to ask this question or at least broach this topic. For people who might be a little bit more um, reticent to to ask that question, a trained couples counselor can really help in terms of being able to create that safe space to to uh, ask those questions and to to explore what that might look like. But really understanding that there's, in this case, I guess, two people in a relationship, and that it needs to be give and take between the two people in the relationship. And ultimately, if the relationship doesn't support opening it up, we have to ask yourself a question is, is my primary relationship worth more to me than whatever else I could get outside? Or do I need to find a relationship that will support me and all of the other things that I want?
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, uh, at least in my experience, don't walk away when maybe they should walk away because it is not exactly what they're looking for. If your partner wants to have multiple partners and you really don't, then maybe seeking the help to be able to move on from that
1: and that's a big thing right we we have we always try to find out what shared values are in terms of couples therapy and so individual values and couples values need to overlap and there needs to be a certain level of overlap and it varies for each person it varies by culture it varies by by society and all of that kind of stuff but but if you can kind of imagine a Venn diagram of like the two circles and there's your values and your partner's values they got to overlap at some point or the relationship won't be viable and when we really understand it understand relationships We kind of, if we look at them from that evolutionary perspective, is we want to create offspring that share our values, right? So we create values, we have shared values as a couple. In this case, we're talking kind of monogamous. And what is that going to look like to our kids, right? What are those? Is there enough overlap that we can create a successful relationship that will support the relationship through? childbearing and child rearing and creating this new human that enters the world that shares these values. If there's not a lot of overlap, it becomes very difficult to see eye to eye. And they say opposites attract. And I think that's true for a while, but it's the like that keeps people together. And the more overlap you have, the better. And, and it's important to have not 100% overlap, because then that become that I've seen that become kind of difficult for clients to manage. You have to have your own things, like you said. You have your friend, or or somebody has that person to go play squash with, or play cards with, or whatever that that you have that kind of can define you. But making sure that there's overlap is important.
0: We have a couple of minutes left, so do you want to talk about the evolutionary psychology behind it?
1: Yeah, sure. It, it comes from an interesting place, and as you know, and we've talked about this before, is that evolutionary piece kind of helps us inform. What we want to do, right? What our, what our biology is programmed to do, right? When we touch a hot stove, our instinct is to flinch. That's programmed into our DNA and into our psyche. A lot of anthropologists think that early human societies were, were polyamorous. And from a biological perspective, this kind of makes sense because you, if you're in a place where your species is established as well established as perhaps ours is now, you want to make sure that that genetic diversity is as broad as can be, and so having multiple lovers with whom you have multiple offspring ensures that those genes spread more prevalently than they kind of do now in a in a monogamous relationship where you ideally would have only one partner. And so those genes kind of kind of stay within that family. And so that's one part of it. But also, if you look at it from a from a societal group in terms of like a, a group of humans that's maybe hundred strong, having multiple partners. And not having definite um, links to the to the paternity means that everybody's kid becomes everybody's kid, and that's one of the things that we've well, we we hear often. Right, it takes it takes a community or it takes a neighborhood to raise a child, and this has a lot of evolutionary backing to it in terms of if the the group, let's say the the tribe or the the clan, has a whole bunch of children, and they all don't have direct lines of lineage, they could be your kid. And so you would take care of every child in the way that it would be yours. And so they think that these communities would survive and thrive because there'd be such a connection to everybody. So everybody would be everybody's parent, essentially, and everybody would be everybody's child. And so those connections, those opportunities for connections would be abound. They'd be all over the place. And so people would feel supported. You'd have all these, like I said, all these places that you could go. If you have a problem, you go to this person over here. And then if you have a different problem, you go to this other person here. It could also be your dad. First person could be your dad. The other person could be your dad, but everybody takes on that parental type relationship where you try to teach and grow and encourage and develop these, these younger generations into the clan or the tribe, which I can imagine creating a very, very strong sense of community and family within this. And it's something that we don't have. And so, I can see that as being a driving force for people wanting to explore that polyamory or that consensual non-monogamy because it is a driver into in our biology or could be a driver in our biology. We don't know. But that's where that communication is important. And as I spoke to you about in the evolutionary psychology piece, knowing that that's a driver doesn't mean that we have to succumb to it. Knowing that that might be a driver helps us then make a choice of how we're going to act about it. That's mm-hmm. what separates us from from the animals, right? We have that developed prefrontal cortex and we're allowed to choose and make decisions and we have free will. So we can, now that we know about it and we know that this may be a driver and it could explain to us why we're having these urges to want to go outside the relationship. If our primary relationship is, is solid, then we can be like, okay, well, this might be a factor. Now, how do we manage it? Discuss.
0: Well, anything else that you want to add?
1: I don't think so. I think we covered quite a bit here in the last few minutes that we've had.
0: Okay. Well, I'm very excited about this new series. Yeah. Uh, are we going to talk about the psychology behind the dick pic next?
1: I think that's something that we should look at because okay. it is something that a lot of people, predominantly women, experience, and it's it's a negative. I I, I would say, and I, most of the women that I've talked to would also agree that getting sent unsolicited dick pics is is very inappropriate. And we can talk a little bit about what may go on in the psychology of a person who sends one of these things
0: yeah and maybe uh maybe some responses as well too that us women could put into our little toolbox for sure (laughs) yeah Yeah. okay well great so then yeah our viewers and our listeners should subscribe because we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting things well thank you so much dan it was lovely to see you again today and i look forward to our future videos
1: for sure